this sermon. Here it is. Now listen, I get in trouble every time I tell you guys something about Mississippi. Because my family, from time to time, listens to this stuff. <laughs> and I, I know they listen because I get a text from my mother, and it doesn't say anything except these three words, I love you, period. <laughs> if that's not a text from your mother, I don't know what is. That said, I'm going to share with you a tale from the dark side this morning. Um, and it is, uh, <laughs> uh, she said, you be proud of your southern roots. And I said, Mom, I know. She said, you have deep southern roots. I said, I know I do. I just prefer to keep digging until I get back to Scotland. That's all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> love you, Mom. Um, but uh, this is a story that is based in my Mississippi experience. It's based on a real-life place. Let me pull up a picture for you. It's the Jackson, Mississippi Yacht Club. But it is a parable. So... Um, don't judge them any more than I do, <laughs> which can't be worse. Uh, but, but remember, this is a parable. So it's got real-life things, and it's a real-life place, and some real-life stories. But at the end of the day, it is a parable for us to learn from, the, from God. Okay? So uh, this is the Yacht Club when it was first established in Jackson, Mississippi. By the way, there are no good bodies of water. If you were wondering, wait, Mississippi is not known for its lakes 100% that is true, but some man at some point decided to dig a giant hole in the mud and fill it with water, and they called it the Ross Barnett Reservoir. It was very close to my home. And so uh, on a regular basis, and, uh, I would go out there, and I was one of the very few <laughs> people in the world from Mississippi that was a high school sailor. I sailed lasers on a regular basis. We would go down to the coast and get... Um, how do you say it in a nice way? Defeated soundly, regularly, from people that sailed on real waters and real wind. Um, but it was part of my childhood. And you can see, this was uh, a little before my time. Not, not much. I'm very old, as my, my daughter likes to tell me. But um, this is how it started out. And you can see back there, there's a, there's a little tiny, tiny building. We called it the A-frame because uh, it looks like an A. We keep things simple down there. Um, but, all right, y'all, let me reel it in. Yeah, um, but uh, I remember the, the A-frame was, was still there. It was still used. We would put all our sails and things in there. It, but it was dilapidated when I was there. When I would go out, I went in there this one time, and I was trying to get my sails out, and I bumped a, a, um, a yellow jacket nest. And all the yellow jackets just started swarming and stinging me. And I sprinted out of the A-frame all the way down, and I jumped into the uh, ocean, I wish. I jumped into the brown Mississippi mud water that was there. And um, uh, no one asked me if I was okay. Instead, they were concerned with uh, a man so young and his grasp on the English language <laughs> as he made the run from top to bottom. Um, I remember that uh, the swimming pool there, if you call it that, in the summers would become dark and green and full of frogs and was not taken care of very well. And I remember me and my brothers would get, um, what's it called? You know, the, the thing that you're supposed to clean the pool with? And we would go over there. Uh, we were like children of the Yacht Club. We were like uh, just running around whatever we wanted to do. And, and friends, I don't encourage you to do this. Animals are beautiful. We love animals. They are God's creation. We need to take care of them, and this is not right in any way, shape, or form. But what we did was we would put it underneath the frogs, and then we would jump on the other end and launch them. 
out of the swimming pool into the Mississippi mud water. <laughs> now, that place was a wonderful place for me. And I, at the time that I was there, when we got together, you know what it was all about? It was about loving one another. It was about having community. It was about going sailing all the time. That, that was what we did. Oh, we go out there on the ocean. <laughs> Again, wishful thinking. We would go out on the reservoir and we would, uh, we would have a wonderful time. It was always great for me because it was a way for me to be with people but not with people uh, because I had my own boat and I, could get, I was a little bit further away from folks. Um, but that's what it was all about. Now, as time went on, uh, as things tend to, tend to do, it became a little bit different of a location. Uh, money began to flow in. It became more of an important status symbol to be part of the Jackson, Mississippi Yacht Club. Uh, <laughs> as crazy as it is. Isn't that crazy, friends? That no matter where you are, we become so myopic about the communities that we live in and we become so focused on status that it begins to consume us all and we think, oh, I've got to be so important because this is Jackson, Mississippi Yacht Club, right? This is not the top ten yacht clubs in the United States. But anyway, they, they built this whole new building. Look how beautiful it is. Uh, I didn't get to experience any of that. They have these wonderful receptions and things like that that are going on there. Um, but at some point, uh, primarily, whew, primarily it became about parties and functions. You started to go to the Yacht Club no longer to sail. You started going to the Yacht Club to be seen because your name was needed to be in the right, right uh, list so that you could put it on your resume or whatever, you could drop it as a name drop. Oh, yes, I'm a member of the Yacht Club. Um, and most people didn't even know the other people's names anymore. In fact, um, people stopped coming. This isn't this crazy, weird thing? Is the Yacht Club, as its success grew, as more and more people joined, less and less people actually started going to the Yacht Club and showing up. In fact, it got so bad that, and, and this happens in many places, that the club decided we're going to make a new rule. And the rule is that to maintain your membership, you have to eat X amount of meals here at the Yacht Club throughout the month so that they, they would have more participation. They stopped worrying about dilapidated... Oh, that's not the picture. They stopped worrying about the, <laughs> dilapidated things like the A-frame and no one had to worry about yellow jacket nests anymore or anything like that because they had paid staff. They took care of everything possible under the sun. They cooked for them, they uh, cleaned the grounds, they uh, maintained the boats, that sort of thing. In fact, um, <laughs> as time went on, there were less and less people even sailing. The regattas went down, and people began to forget why they had gathered in the first place. And only those strange, weird, uh, <laughs> bad-talking people <laughs> were still the ones going out on the water. And they became the minority in the yacht club. Somewhere along the way, they forgot the reason that they gathered in the first place. To go sailing. To be a community where everyone participates. Not because it's part of the membership requirements. Because they felt like family with one another back then. And they all had a common love, a common passion for what the organization was built for in the first place. Somewhere along the way, they forgot their unity. They forgot their servanthood. Somewhere along the way, they forgot their mission. 
and they forgot what it meant to be family together. This is sadly a parable for many churches today. Um, and in God's providence, y'all be patient with me because when I put this thing down, it flips all over the place. In God's providence, um, I have a conversation whether I want to or not, through Facebook Messenger with a former student of mine. I was a high school teacher, a science teacher at a Christian school in uh, Maitland, Florida, uh, right outside of Orlando. And uh, when I was there, I taught a lot of kids, and these were these are Christian kids, dyed in the wool. A lot of them had been homeschooled. Uh, most of them um, had known each other in this tight, Christian community their entire lives. And one of them, uh, let me think of a good name so I don't accidentally say it. Uh, how about John? Uh, John, John was an interesting kid. Um, and for some reason, for one thing or another, he had a lot of behavioral issues. Uh, and for whatever, for whatever reason, he felt like I was the only teacher that ever uh, listened to him. And so literally every two years, Usually, after he's had a little too much to drink, <laughs> I'll get a message from John. And he'll update me on his life. And he tells me about how famous he's become, the success that he's had. He, uh, he flies a private jet. And he shows me the pictures of the people that he's with. He's been through a lot of ups and downs. And I, it's so great, I could just look at my Facebook message and every two years get a status update on what he's been doing. Um, at one point, he dated um, a girl, a, wo a woman who was in her 50s when he was in his 20s. Uh, at this point, he is 28 years old. Lord, help me. Lord, help him. Uh, he seems like he's finally starting to settle down a little bit. Well, we had a conversation two weeks ago, again, in God's providence. I'm going to share it with you this morning about his perspective. So first of all, I can't read that. First of all, Let's just praise God that even the, the stuff that he's been through, even though he has strayed far from the Lord, that he began the conversation with what's listed at the top, right? I believe that Jesus Christ rose and died for my sins and he is the only perfect person and that by believing in him, I am saved. Praise God that that is still the case in this young man's life, the trials and tribulations and the things that he's been through. Y'all are already reading ahead, I can see it! But some churches, friends, I didn't even know, I had forgotten about this until last night. I'm going to tell you how late uh, that the Lord put it on my heart. This is what he said, but some churches are what? A club. I've been around some of the richest people and the richest places and clubs, and some, not all, bless his heart, not all churches are no different. They act like country clubs. I've been to plenty. Wait, and wait, there's more. This last one. Yeah, my dad is one of the top three traders, stockbrokers in Winter Park. That's in Florida. It's the really wealthy area. So twice a year, I go to a black tie event. <laughs> he looks so cute in his little black tie. Anyway, at the country club, because he doesn't dress up. I, I bring whoever I'm dating, like 50-year-old woman. I walk, <laughs> his dad loved that. I walk around, play the part. It's an exclusive crowd. Churches act the same way. Lord have mercy. In their exclusivity and their judgment. But country clubs, it's okay. Because they aren't tying it to saving people's souls. 
Churches like that are the most dangerous thing. I lost my faith for years because of my experience that I'm not going to blast them. <laughs> I was like, yep, I'm probably burning in hell based off his experience there. According to them, am I wrong with that assessment? What we said is between me and him, okay? <laughs> but friends, this is a son of the church. This is a son just like you and I and all of our children. Raised deep within the bosom of the Presbyterian faith. How much more do you think that the people who are maybe never ever stepped foot on a church campus have the same impression about churches? And why do they have that in the first place? Today we continue our series in Nehemiah, Rebuilding Hope. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 3. Open your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to look at the clock right now. This isn't out of guilt. This isn't out of uh, checking a box. And my goodness, if another staff member tells me that they love the Sabbath, I'm going to scream. Just kidding. I love you guys. But uh, I'm going to read the whole passage. And y'all bear with me, okay? Because it's a long passage. It's a lot. In fact, you might zone out a little bit because it looks like an appendix. It is a list kind of thing in the Bible. And you might be asking yourself, what possible interest could the Lord have in chapter 3 going through all of these names and telling us all the little details unless perhaps I'm a civil engineer and I'm like, well, really interested in the way walls are built. But this is the Lord's Word. And He works differently than our expectations. And so we're going to read God's Word for us today. Also, Friends, be patient with me. There are a lot of names in here that are not uh, John, <laughs> okay? So be patient with me and, and, uh, and gracious with me as we read. Now, as we approach God's Word, let us go to Him in prayer. Thank you, our Father in Heaven, that you are the God whose promises never fail. Thank you for showing us in your Word that you direct human history from beginning to end for your redemptive purposes. Every nation, every single life is in your sovereign hands. We acknowledge before you that we today are sinful and stiff-necked, Lord, you know, just like your people in the Old Testament. Father, we repent of our sin and we thank you for your mercy in sending your Son who took on himself the punishment for that sin so that we, your people, can live forgiven by faith in Him. As we study your Word, please help us to see you more clearly and to follow you with growing faith and prayerful obedience. Give us the courage to amend our lives and to proclaim the gospel in word and deed in the places we live, work, and play. For His glory alone and in the name of Jesus and His grace we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let me drink some water before we get going here. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, 
son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshizabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok and the son of Banah repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Joida, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel and the son of Harhaiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephahiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumaph, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malchichah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Bahath Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They built it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and it repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Mal- Malchaha, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Chacharim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kol Hezeh, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, different Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rechum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hajabiah, ruler of half the district of Kailah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Henadad, ruler of, the half, of half the district of Kailah, Next to him, Ezer, the son of Yeshua, different Yeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And after him, Merimouth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maseiah, the son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired the opposite the buttress, and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Pediah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel, repaired 
to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Amer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelechmiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malachah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Woo! Yeah, thanks for hanging in there. No, you better not be clapping for me. I'll tell you that right now. I'm gonna get into you. I'm gonna lay into you in a minute. Okay. Give me just a second. What did you guys notice in there? Um, the senior pastor took care of it. The paid staff took care of it. That uh, what's the what's the rule in church? Twenty eighty. 20% of the church does 100% of the work. The other 80% are just kind of hanging out. This is not guilt. This is just a saying. Was it the 20%? Nope. Over 40 different groups are identified here in the Word of God. Priests, Levites, temple servants, goldsmiths, merchants, officials, private individuals, so forth and so on. All sorts of people. Read verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and priests. The high priest gets involved. Friends, that's not the high priest's job. That's not what he does. Look at these hands. These are soft pastor baby hands. They're made for holding books. People's hands. They're not made for, for doing hard labor. And frankly, every time I try to, someone comes and tells me, whether this church or another, stop doing that. You're not supposed to be doing that. You need to be sitting in your office praying for us. And yet here we have the high priest getting involved. Verse 3, 12, next to him, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. Ruler of half the district. But that's not the important part. He and who? His what? His daughters. Guys, this was not a time period in which daughters... I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to do the wrong slide. This is not a time period in which daughters... The Lord told me it's time. Told him this is not a time period that daughters were getting involved in doing hard manual labor. They were like the high priest. Get back inside the house. You guys know who that lady is? Listen, I'm old and I love being old, but I'm not that old. But that is a very famous young lady named Rosie the Riveter, right? You guys know about this. I'm going to look it up. I looked it up because uh, I don't want to step on any toes. I've talked about World War II in the past, and I've had a lot of strong opinions. <laughs> so uh, I just want to make sure, as a youngster, to, to read appropriately. And so I looked up the National World War II Museum, which is based in New Orleans. Friends, pray for those people. 
But here is, uh, here's what it says. Again, can't read without looking at it. Oh, maybe, maybe I have it down here. I have it here. American women were instrumental in the war effort during World War II. With ever-growing orders for war materials, uh, combined with so many men overseas fighting the war, women were called upon to work in ways previously reserved only for men. While the most famous image of the female patriotism during World War II was Rosie the Riveter, women were involved in other aspects of the war effort outside of the factories. More than six million women took wartime jobs in factories. Three million volunteered with the Red Cross. And over 200,000 served in the military. You all know better than I do, but... Women being involved in this way at that time was utterly unfamiliar and noteworthy. It was noteworthy in World War II and it is noteworthy here in Nehemiah that everyone participates. And by the way, friends, it came out a little bit in the announcements whether I intended it or not, but the Church of the New Testament and every church that I have ever attended whether it be complementarian, egalitarian, or some other Ian that I am not aware of, has been primarily built and carried day by day, year by year, through the never-failing faithfulness of women. <clears throat> we read today, go look at the, uh, what, what's that thing called? Bro- the brochure that Alex made for us. What are you noticing there? Our women rising up. Our women are leading and teaching and leading as God calls them here in this congregation. Now listen, it looks like everyone is participating here, right? Not exactly. Verse 5, read that one. Did you hear it? I emphasize it because I I knew what I was going to talk about. Next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but Their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Friends, not everything in the kingdom of God is pretty. You've all been around long enough to know that. Some of the Lord's people can make the worst of friends and the most disloyal of companions. Some Christians shine in complaining and standing on the sidelines offering unhelpful criticisms. The Tekoites were the ones that had been in the land before the Lord began to move. Before the exiles began to return. And they take the attitude, who does Nehemiah think that he is? Ultimately, what they and frankly many Christians and established larger churches, usually my experience larger than about 60 or so, are exhibiting is a lack of humility. I'm too busy. I'm too important. I've got too many things, too many balls that I'm juggling right now. I pay my dues. We give our tithes and our offerings for the paid staff to take care of those things. Rather than that attitude, friends, here from the Apostle Paul, Philippians 1.27, that's all I'm going to say about it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you, you all, 
are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It is indeed those with humility, those who are broken and unqualified that God uses the most. Verse 8, next to them Uziel, the son of Harhiah, the goldsmith repaired. So there's a goldsmith there, right? Woo! He's got some skills. What about the next one? Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers. Not to make perfume, that's awesome. Does that help with building walls? Nope. Listen, there's some skilled workers in there, but they aren't skilled at putting brick together. Is that how you build a wall? Obviously, I don't know. None of these workers are described as skilled wall builders. Listen to this. The view that spiritual ministry is the task of the clergy or some specially trained group, the rest of the church perhaps given to prayer and making coffee, is an unbiblical, elitist mentality. And as a professor in a seminary said, it smells like smoke. <laughs> it's not right. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 talks about how God gives apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. And you know what it says their job is? To equip, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. In other words, your paid professional staff, our primary job is not to do everything. It is to build you up. Sorry for yelling. It is to build you up into the body of Christ that you have been called to be. One of my most broken-hearted moments here at New Hope was before the pandemic began. And I heard from the Lord in this way, as I often hear. I hear independently from one another. At least I don't think they're all just getting together like, we're going to trick Samuel into thinking this is from the Lord. (laughs) but I hear independently from people completely unconnected with one another. And you know what they were telling me? Over and over again, I kept hearing it. We've got to have a Sunday school class. We've got to have something on Sunday morning when the children are coming for kids' hour or jam or whatever you want to call it. We've got to have something for the adults. They're just shuffling their feet. Most of them aren't coming because they just don't know what to do with themselves. They're just looking around. We gotta have a teacher. And so we prayed. Tommy and I both prayed. Who is it, Lord? And we felt led to a young man. <laughs> I can say that, I'm old now. A young man, a recent believer. The Lord was moving mightily in this man. And it felt like this is the guy. And we said, Hey, brother, we want to begin the conversation of discerning if this is right for, the, for you. Is this the way the Lord has been Maybe he's been working on your heart. Let's begin to have the conversation. Maybe you are being called now to teach a class on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's just fellowship. Maybe it's just chatting. Maybe it's just reading. We, we feel like this might be the case. He said, I'll pray about it. And you know what happened? He did exactly what you're supposed to do. He asked his friends, he asked his brothers and sisters in Christ for wise counsel. And do you know what one of the people said to him? Why in God's name did they ask you? You have no training. You don't know anything. You're a new believer. Why didn't they ask me? 
his heart was crushed. He withdrew more and more, and he no longer comes here. I'm going to read this part because I don't know if I can get through it. We always assume that God only wants to use the super gifted, the super talented in his kingdom and the running of his churches. But friends, do not believe that lie. Do not believe the lie of the mega church. Nothing could be further from the truth. He actually works the entirely opposite way of that. He takes the broken, he takes the deeply flawed, the insecure, those like you and I, and he uses them for his great glory so that no one can say it was because of this person or that person. It was the Lord who was at work. Woo! All right, amen. And this is, this is where I'm going to get on to you. And by the way, if you for one moment, any ounce of you, have been fooled into thinking that what's happening in your heart today, or has been, has been moving in your spirit through this series, or if it comes up again that this is in any way, shape, or form, I'm going to get my dad voice, any way, shape, or form, because Samuel is a highly gifted as a pastor. Friends, you've got another thing coming to you. We don't know each other 100%. I've only been with you a little over two years. Frankly, most of it's been through YouTube. But I promise you with all my heart before you today that if a broken, introverted, antisocial, that is not an exaggeration, person such as myself, who has his whole life begged the Lord, please just let me be alone. So he could be safe from the heartbreak of this world and the people in it. If he can be used by God in any way whatsoever in your life, to God alone be the glory, friends. Don't you dare thank me for the sermon today. Or anything for that matter. I got on to somebody thanking me earlier. <laughs> Don't you do, dare do anything other than join me in praising our God in heaven for moving in us and moving in the life of this church family. Our Father in heaven works through people such as us, the broken, the outcasts, the unacceptable, socially awkward those are those that God builds his kingdom so that his name will be praised today in God's word we have seen a powerful example in Nehemiah of what the people of God what the church can be a powerful and united family attempting things that are outlandish that could never happen Friends, they've been trying for decades to rebuild these walls. And then all of a sudden, within a short amount of time, it is accomplished. This was a, you know why? Because this was a project that at their heart, they knew from the Lord that this was essential to the kingdom of God. And the result is, well, it's the results. Friends, we are the church. 
<laughs> Whether we like it or not, I've said this before, I've had a lot of bad experiences with the church, y'all. The Scripture doesn't talk about the people of God that kindly either. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus' bride. And He loves us intensely. Friends, we are the church. We are family. We are New Hope Presbyterian Church. As broken and as flawed as we are, we are God's plan A for this community, for our families, and for this place today. There is no plan B. Amen? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, my God, thank you. We praise your name. We give glory to you that it may be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, that it may be proclaimed here this day that you are moving within our hearts and within our community. Convict us. Move within us, not out of guilt or shame, but because we recognize who we are. Sons and daughters of the Most High, the High King of Heaven, who makes us princes and princesses, royalty called to build the kingdom of God in the places we live, work, and play. Amen and amen.